I'm here with Jeff Tucker again. Um, he is the editorial director for AIER, which has been in the news quite a lot recently. Um, welcome back. Thank you for thank you for coming on again. Last Monday, not yesterday, but a week ago Monday, I saw this tweet from you, and it said, I think I have it up here. Um, okay, I'm not finding it, but basically it said, this is the first ray of hope I've seen in seven months, and I'm so excited. And I thought, there he goes again, vague tweeting. Nobody knows what he's talking about. What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> and I looked a few tweets down, and there's this thing about this great Barrington Declaration. And so I read about that and said, oh, that's really cool. You know, maybe I should tell Jeff about this. Um, and I look further, and I see that you guys did that. You made mm. that happen. So. Mm. How, how did it happen? I've, we've, you know, I've seen some of the videos, I've, I've listened to what it is and read what it is. Um, right. You're up to more than 400,000 signatures now this morning. That's right. um, uh, how did that come? To, how did it happen? Well, quite uh, spontaneously, actually. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I, you know, ever since all this stuff began, we both know that ultimately this is, this is a matter of public health and also uh, very importantly, uh, um, morality, you know, and and it's been strange to suddenly see, you know, what you and I never imagined possible. You know, the the world completely locked down by the state, um, house arrest, symphonies closed, hospitals emptied, you know, central planning gone gone wild all over the world. And it was a really uh, an interesting problem was who's speaking out against it? I think you and I have talked about this. Who's speaking out against it? And what, what, are, you, what are we going to do? Um, Sorry, that's my cat. That's all right. And it's, at some point, I, I began to notice that, that more and more scientists were starting to speak out. And I, I think it's really important to, to realize that when you become a scientist, you're not interested in politics. You don't, you're not there to save the planet from the state. You know, that's not from bad bad public health policies. You're, you're there to, to research things and, and that sort of thing. And um, scientists are mostly not political people. Uh, they're really reluctant to, to get into the public eye. They're just really, you know, mostly for the most part introverts who are fascinated with data and that sort of thing. But I began to notice that there were several names that were kept emerging in my Twitter feed as, as uh, important uh, people. Jay Bhattacharya, uh, Martin Kuldorf, And of course, I had Meanwhile, at a distance, just developed a tremendous affection for Sinatra Gupta, who's like, you know, the, the Hayek of infectious diseases. I don't know what she's amazing. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. So, so I, I just, and you know, we have a, a nice place here. And, and I, I saw that, that uh, Martin is over at, at Harvard, and I thought, and I know that, that Boston is very much locked down. I said, why don't, you, why don't you come and join us for the weekend? We'll just hang out. And he goes, okay. So, so, and so then I invited a, a, a you know, a, a few other people, um, you know, an attorney from New Jersey, an attorney from New And so they, they came and, and we had a nice weekend together. Um, with no agenda, you know, went to a cidery, uh, had dinner together and just enjoyed each other's company. And, and all we did was talk about lockdowns and COVID, right? I mean, it's like, nobody else wants to talk about this stuff. So we, we got all the COVID freaks in, in one space and, we just exhausted each other, you know, talking about this for three days, basically. And then Martin went back and then about a week later, he called me back and said, I have an idea. We'll bring in uh, three of the world's top epidemiologists together with some uh, high-end journalists and 
who explain um, herd immunity and public health to these journalists. They'll report on it, and then we'll sign a, a something like a public statement. And I said, well, let me check the calendar. The, I said, this can't happen until August, uh, until October 31st. The next day he calls me back and says, it's going to happen this weekend. And, uh, and, and Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford's coming in and also I'm gonna to try to get Sinatra Gupta from the UK. And I was like, this is insanity, but you know, what am I gonna say? Yeah. So next thing you know, they're here and uh, all three of them. And also with David Zweig, a New York Times uh, uh, writer, an independent journalist, but he writes for the New York Times and the New York and other places. And, and John Tamney from Real Clear Politics, a few, a few other Real Clear Markets and, and a few other people and some of our, our own local scholars and stuff. So we had a, a magical weekend. I only had two hours of scheduled uh, time for the Q&A and and that uh, video was taken by um, Talib Brown, our videographer, and all that footage then ended up into a film made by the Wall Street Journal. It was very beautiful, uh, just a really interesting, um, gripping time. It, it felt, the weekend, it felt a little bit like the October Revolution or something. Like we all had a sense that something was important was It's was just, happening. you know, and I haven't finished, if so that the film I've been watching, um, the one that's posted on the the site, the declaration yeah, site, two hours, yeah, yeah. So I haven't finished watching the whole thing, right. but I have to say the beginning of that is moving. It's mm. it's really like, you know, watching these these three people put their put pen to paper, put their names right. down on this thing, and they have to know what they're bringing down on themselves. You know, it's that's a really interesting. Uh, a question because um, I, I think they they had some sense that they're doing something really important uh, mm -hmm. but there was no on that Sunday when we by the way they were they were all about to, to head to uh, an, an interview I believe um, about 10 minutes later so we were in a bit of a rush you know um, and and it was funny because they had been working nonstop, waking up in the middle of the night doing edits and that sort of thing. And finally, they delivered it to me, and and then it became it came to me to try to figure out how to print it out. Well, I pressed print, and the the, the printer was out of ink. Of course, right. of right. course. And and then and then another printer I couldn't find it, and then and then uh, Phil Magnus was here. He said, "Look, let's put it on a large piece of paper." Anyway, we're scrambling because because. Because we had to get the thing signed, right? Before the next that's always interview. when the printers fail. It's always yeah, right, yeah. right. So we finally found a big piece of paper, printed it out, and went in there and and uh, and to lead film that nice little moment. And uh, <laughs> it was chaos, but but it was interesting because when they did sign it, they did have some sense they were doing something really important. And Jay Bhattacharya said, um, "Why don't we build a website and then have invite uh, scientists and medical professionals and the general public to sign it." I bet we'll get a million signatures. Now I'm I'm a 25 year veteran of digital media and public engagement, and that sort of thing. And part of me was sitting in the back of the room going, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." Spoken like a typically naive scientist, you think you think you could just sign a thing and throw it out on the internet, and everybody's going to sign it? Yeah, a million. Oh yeah, sure, a million. Yeah, that'll happen. So so I was, you know. But anyway, we did our part and uh, yeah, 
and yeah, it did. It it absolutely. It's close it, to half a million today. Yeah, it 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 went crazy. Now, what's interesting is that you know there there seems to be um, a bit of a lockdown lobby out there. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> interesting, you know, like people who actually like are in favor of 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 lockdowns. Like it's it's. I don't know what kind of sadistic uh, psychopaths um, would adopt this view, but but they are out there. And almost immediately when the declaration went up, uh, s- some guy uh, who uh, you know, tweeted out, he's got like 50,000 followers of some sort of ideologue, um, encouraged people to go and sign it uh, with, uh, with fraudulent right. names and fraudulent credentials. So we, we immediately began to deal with that. I mean, like we went into it very earnest, earnestly we blocked all, you know, DDoS attacks. We built everything. What we hadn't uh, uh, anticipated was the was the problem of just outright aggressive uh, trolls. Who um, does that? Yeah, who, to encourage like fraud, you know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. So, so next thing you know, I have to. The whole staff is having to go through all the uh, the things. We found about zero point one percent of, you know, Doctor Donald Duck and you know that kind of stuff. You know, right. with, with very small number. But nonetheless, they used, they signed it with fake names and then, then screenshot the fake names to, to discredit us. And so next thing you know, it's this, this ridiculous, you know, internet war and that sort of thing. And the typical nonsense. Meanwhile, the scientists have been like completely shocked. It's the first time in the public uh, eye, you know. And they're like, wait, is this how, is it, this, this is pretty ugly. Is this how the world works? It's like... Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. It yeah, there was. Now, I don't know if this ever appeared, but um, I posted about. Apparently, um, Dr. Kuldorf got an email from the Guardian telling them about a hit piece they were gonna, uh, preparing to run on him, mm. um, where they were going to, you know, they were going to attack him for having appeared on the Richie Allen show and say that it had hosted anti-Semites and Holocaust deniers and all this, you know, all this sort of completely irrelevant ad hominem type attack. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's appeared yet, but just the the ugliness and the low level of that. Well, what's interesting about it is that it is, it also is, it's also pathetic. And, and what's been fascinating for me as I've been relatively calm this week. I mean, despite, you know, everything. I mean, like, it's un- unbelievable what we're dealing with over here. Oh, I bet. Um, uh, but I've been relatively calm, mainly because the attacks are so pathetic. I mean, like, Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to to say. Like one of the things that you know that that people claim is that we're a coke funded think tank. It's like right, <laughs> that's news to you. That's interesting. I mean, and apparently somebody dug up a sixty one thousand uh, dollar uh, cumulative grant from like two years ago. And it's like, well, from my point of view, I wish it had been it had been sixty one to uh, sixty one million. You know, I'm yeah. I'm glad to take coke's money, but unfortunately, <laughs> we've not really uh, we've not really. Um, gotten that and yeah. what's interesting is that, that that neil ferguson himself was earlier this year the recipient of a one hundred fifty thousand dollar coke grant so yeah that was that's interesting yeah. that's yeah, he got the, twice as much money as we did so i mean it's like <clears throat> you know anyway we're an independent think tank we've been independent since 1933 independent of academia independent of corporate interests independent of government so you know that there's nothing to find and uh, and then the other claim was like climate denial and i I was just at a staff meeting and we were all just kind of la- laughing about that. It's like, does anybody hear, like, is somebody denying, like, climate change? And, you know, nobody could really think who, who that would be or what we're doing about it. Apparently, back in 1992, we held a conference on the topic and you know, looking at the science critically, which is, makes sense, you know, because we're, 
you know, we're an empirically based institution, um, all about integrity and science and that sort of thing. So not surprised. I've never read the book. Um, but you can see these are just smears. And the thing is, you know, you can recognize the difference between an actual critique and a smear. So this is just smears. And, and that's why it doesn't bother me that much. Like, I, I think people are, are pretty intelligent. They can look straight through this. But what was interesting, Brittany, was, was the dramatic change that this... So what happened, I think the last time you and I talked, we were both, like, outraged. But, but we didn't have really... Neither of us really could figure out a, a language in which to frame um, the opposition and in which to uh, frame the alternative. Like, I think we were looking for that. And mm -hmm. what, what the declaration did was, it was very short for a reason, to, 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 to help people understand the critical issues and to give them a, a, a fresh language in which to speak. Uh, Kulldorff himself says the declaration does nothing other than restate the basic principles of, of public health, which is, uh, sounds sounds right, but before that declaration, pe people were just the opposition was was floundering all over the place. While the lockdown, the one percent, the lockdowners, the one percent who are in favor of destroying civilization, the jokers of the world, yeah, um, they they've been very well organized, you know, for fifteen twenty years. So, yeah. so yeah. the the declaration gave us a way to speak, and then also incredibly, but I'm sorry, I'm talking too much for this podcast, but no, 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 keep incredible going. Incredible is that. When Martin J. Bhattacharya and uh, Professor Gupta arrived, uh, what was in the news was that Trump had COVID. Yes, right. That happened that weekend, right? So it was a little bit like, all right, we've got an issue here. But you know, you can't you can't pay attention to that stuff, you know. So, but it was interesting that he got COVID. But what was fascinating is that by the time the declaration came out and got revealed, he was over it. Right? So, mm -hmm. so suddenly he's like mighty. It's like, oh, I get it. So you get it. Your immune system adapts, and then you're you you you're protected. So suddenly a, a light dawns in, in his head. He's been very confused, as you know, for seven, eight months about this. And yeah. so suddenly, because he experienced it himself. He he got a, 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 a new awareness that that uh, that we live amidst pathogens and that we have an immune systems that adapt adapt to them, which is what you and I think uh, have been screaming for all these months. But well, and which has been has been the norm for all of human history. You know, that's sure. we've lived we've lived in relationship with pathogens forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our our systems have gotten stronger. It's the reason that the Europeans didn't, you know, die on mass from smallpox mm -hmm. when they came to to the Americas, but the natives did. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's 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 our it's our human history. It's the norm for right. so long, and to think that a bunch of people could turn that norm on its head right so quickly and right. with so little to go on right that's still just it's amazing. Yeah. Like they, they relied on people's ignorance of, mm -hmm. of the immune system, even though I, YouTube right now has, you know, 50 different versions of explaining immune systems to children. There's very nice cartoon versions, or whatever you want. You, know, you, you, want it, you want to learn about the immune system, there's a million ways to do it, but somehow... It's not uh, a secret. Yeah, somehow all of humanity forgot and we decided to uh, destroy our lives and destroy human rights and freedom and dignity um, because of the existence of a, a virus. The whole thing is... 
I think in a good end, history is one of the most scandalous, outrageous, maybe hilarious uh, things. I sure hope so. I mean, here's my, my, my fear, since we're going to talk about fear, um, what seems to have happened with an awful lot of people is that once the initial fear was put in place, it's like the part of the brain that listens to reason shuts down. And so it, mm-hmm. it just, you know, looking at, at, I'm not counting the politicians because they've got their own agenda, but the people who listen to, to those politicians, the people who really believe in the lockdowns and believe in the masks, it really feels as if they've just been sucked in by the fear, mm-hmm. they're still living in fear, and mm-hmm. so the rational part of their brain can't take in this new information. Do you, mm-hmm. do you get that too, or mm-hmm. are you more optimistic? Mm. No, I agree with you, but I, I just think it's temporary. I, I've been astonished, I so. actually. I, I've been astonished, actually. Like, I don't, I don't think that I understood the extent to which we have not improved at all over our ancestors in terms of our capacity to process new information. People look at data, it doesn't mean anything to them. Um, you can explain infection fatality uh, rates, you can explain case fatality rates, you can explain demographics of death, um, excess deaths. Uh, there's something about the disease, you know, that, that people feel like they have to run away from. Um, in the course of the 20th century, we worked really, really hard to help people understand that that is not true, um, that running and hiding is not the answer to a, a widespread uh, mild pathogen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've f- somehow failed to teach that and failed to teach everything actually uh, over the last 30 years. Well, that, and that's, I mean, speaking of the 20th century, you know, the, the most important lesson I think that we learned or that we should have learned as humanity from the 20th century is that central planning leads to disaster. And this is your whole background. I mean, what, what does Austrian economics, what, do, what does the thinking of Mises and Hayek, what does that have to tell us about how to handle a pandemic? Right. It tells you everything. What's interesting is it hadn't previously been applied uh, uh, because it's always been applied to things like socialism or monetary central planning or price controls or other forms of interventions. But um, we've never really had the opportunity to apply um, this basic Austrian insights about the work, workability of society to uh, something like uh, p- p- uh, infectious disease policy because, because we've never tried anything like this before. You know, humanity has never been so idiotic. I mean, even in, in 1918, uh, there were sporadic um, localized temporary quarantines and yeah. then public health officials were, came out very much against them. So it's been a hundred years since we've had but really forever since we've had anything like this. So there's no particular reason for the Austrians to have, have written about it. But, but boy, we, I, I mean, I've seen everything unfold exactly as you might expect. And one of the things that's fascinating is that Sinatra Gupta uh, 20 years ago wrote, wrote this article uh, about the application of modeling and mathematics to the issue of infectious diseases. And she said, this is actually extremely dangerous uh, because it tempts us to believe we can control something we, can, we, we can't actually con- control. It, it, it's going to mm-hmm. give us a kind of an arrogance to, to imagine that um, we just pull the right levers and make a virus go away, which is not true. And so um, uh, her whole critique applies to, sorry, her whole critique applies as, as much to um, 
socialism is a dose of infectious disease. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, uh, all of our researchers here have been looking at all the epidemiological models. It's incredible. A lot of these modeling, very primitive uh, calculus, very primitive assumptions about causation, very primitive um, and variable analysis. And that, they're very rudimentary. Epidemiological models that, that were used to justify the lockdowns are where economic models were in something like 1954. Wow. Yeah, and wow. the economists have meanwhile vastly improved. They're much more careful about their statistical uh, regressions and claiming causation where it doesn't exist and multivariant analysis and getting serious. That's been happening for 70 years within the economics profession. The Not in public health. Profession, it's, it's completely primitive. It's just straight after World War II as far as they're concerned in their statistical modeling techniques. I mean, even, like I'm not very sophisticated at this stuff, but I'm, I look at some of the, the, the nonsense published by the CDC, you know, like the study about how you're going to catch COVID at a restaurant, even I could see through, it's, it's completely bogus. You know, it's like bad science. Bad well, science. and, and the, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a data scientist either, but I've read a lot of the critiques of Neil Ferguson's work and they're withering. I mean, they're just, they come down on him like a ton of bricks and say, this is just complete nonsense. It's the, it's right. the worst you know, code I've ever seen. It's, it's the worst, you know, assumptions laid in there. And, you know, to top it all off, this is like his fifth, I believe, his fifth prediction of a terrifying pandemic that never became a fraction as terrifying as he predicted. And yet he still gets hired. So to me, it's clear that he's being paid to do something other than make accurate predictions. Yeah, no, there's also there's also I think uh, this weird mythology we have that we we think that there's some extremely brainy person out there who's 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 got the numbers and a and a model. They're going to solve all our problems, and make our life problems go away, including apparently sickness and death. You know, yeah. so they're modern day witch doctors, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what they are, and it's very sad that people believe them. I don't know, you know, but yeah, I'm hoping at the, at the end of this whole thing, we're going to get a lot wiser, more distrustful of government, more distrustful of, uh, of these witch doctor, uh, fake scientists and these hucksters, uh, politicians trying to use fear to take away our freedom and our, and our rights. Uh, but it still think, works. It still works. They're not going to stop. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, um, I don't know. There's been a rough it's been a pretty rough eight months and nine months, you know, I and mean, it's been really rough. And um, a lot of people have had their lives wrecked. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I was speaking out against this stuff back on March 8th, it was, I, th I think, one of my second article on the topic, I was denouncing the, the closure of South by Southwest. I didn't have any allies. I didn't feel like I had any allies. Mm -hmm. I was just a handful of people. I mean, you've always been wonderful on this topic. Um, but but it was shocking that the silence of the libertarians, you know, alone was was uh, yeah. actually continued silence of yeah. There's still there's still some yeah. of that. And and so, but over time, I mean, we're gaining allies all the time, and the world's you know, completely different now than it was, you know, even five months ago. And just in terms of uh, the outrage and the opposition, I think I think the politicians are terrified about what's coming. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, when you see. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been writing about the, the pharmaceutical narrative even before this, and mm -hmm. I, was, I was saying that before all of this happened, that their whole narrative that you need to buy more and more of their products in order to be healthy 
um, et cetera, et cetera, was built on very shaky ground. And that more and more people were coming to realize that, especially with the vaccine mandates, more parents were becoming aware of that. And so this whole narrative that they've built, um, I, I saw that kind of that fear in them or that panic start of, before this. And now, you know, when you see, as you said, you know, the level of attacks that have been made against the declaration, um, you know, it's, it's all personality based. It's where's your funding. It's this guy. And I loved, so you had this interview, I forget the name of the station, but the Turkish, the Turkish channel where you just wipe. I don't like and watch that over and over again because you're wiping the floor with the guy. And, but, but here's the thing, their whole, and you see this in the media all the time, what they do is they, they ignore the substance of what you're saying. And I think they're pinning the, their whole, all of their hopes are pinned on the hope that no one's really taking in the substance. They're just, you know, listening to that nice British accent and he looks so calm and collected and, and all this stuff. Well, you're, while you're demolishing him. And I, I feel like so much of what we're seeing, it's, it's signs of real weakness it's signs of such desperation mm -hmm. that you have to sink to such a, a low level oh, yeah. to try and count come back at this you know at some point that's gonna at some point you know a lot more people are gonna see it for what it is and that's gonna crack open so i was, i agree was, i agree that was a deliberate ambush it was it was funny because you know i, I try i try to limit my interviews to two, two or three a day you know because otherwise i can't get it work done but yeah. Uh, I can't possibly keep up. I have like some assistant, you know, whatever. So yeah. I just, you know, I went, I went on camera and they blinded me to the show. So I couldn't see anything. Right. Oh, wow. I couldn't see that I was what I was, I was what show I was on. I couldn't see the. Wow. You know, I couldn't see anything, which is obviously deliberate. They just they left me a, bl a blank screen. And so I just had to stare at a camera and, and just listen. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what was going on until I actually watched the video. And the very first question was something, something preposterous. I mean, it was just like, there were two mistakes in the very first question. So I just came, I just came out, um, yeah. I came out storming. I was like, rawr! <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, also, I didn't know how long it was going to go on. Is it, was right. this a, a three-minute interview? No, it turned out to be a 34-minute interview. So that was really something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely was, you know, speaking from the heart, but it, you know, I've got a head full of COVID information, you know, so <laughs> I wasn't going to yeah. stop. And yeah. the very last question, he said, all right, all right, we're going to end this. Uh, so my last question to you, uh, Jeffrey, is how would you recommend that people avoid the coronavirus? And I, <laughs> and I said, that is the wrong question. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Which now, hopefully, with the declaration, more people, and it's so interesting because, you know, Dr. Gupta and, and many, many doctors and epidemiologists and scientists have been saying this for a mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. They've been, you know, really since the beginning, some of them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that it's taken this coming together, creating this document, this, this thing in history that we can point to and have people sign to get this kind of traction. Um, and, but, but. Thankfully, you guys did it. Well, it's funny. It all kind of came together. I, I remember when they were they were here. We didn't we didn't even know why we nobody even knew why we were here, right? We just, <laughs> it was all very interesting. We just knew that something had to happen. We didn't know what. Yeah. And then and then they said, "Well, here's our statement." And 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 Martin's a very interesting guy. He uh, he said, "Well, look, I 
you know, it's an open letter, but, but I don't know, I find open letters kind of boring. Whatever we call it, a declaration. I said, okay, that's fine. So we went through a series of names. And I said, well, this is the Edgewood Estate Historic. We could call it the, the Edgewood Declaration. I said, yeah, really, that's not very interesting, you know. And uh, he said, well, why, don't we, why don't we just call it the Great Barrington Declaration? And I said, how come? He goes, well, it has the word great in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right. Sure. We're here for you, you know. I mean, <laughs> that's okay. So... That's next awesome. thing you know, next thing you know, and with, you know, within within twenty four hours, um, um, everything had changed. I mean, two days ago we got two million uh, two million views. Uh, yesterday was one million. It goes up and down. Probably it's going to be three million today. Uh, yeah. And we keep having to get more service space, and we struggle to keep the site alive. And um, it's it's quite an admining job. To uh, I've never seen a viral. A web property like I've never seen anything I've never seen anything remotely like this in my yeah. entire life you know and we underestimated the complexity of what we we're faced with very naively just you know put it up there and just you know we, we, so so we've been there have been a lot of sleepless nights and but you know I as we talked about in our staffing just before I um, we, we started this interview it's like you know we all have jobs and um, we all have job descriptions and there's certain things we do, we know what we're supposed to do and whatever. But there's times in history where you just have to step up and and do the right thing and nothing else matters. You know, it's it's not about the money, it's not about the job description, it's it's about um about um, changing the world and exercising exercising courage. I must say our, our entire staff here was mostly inspired by the, by the sac sacrifice um, and courage of the scientists more than anything else. So they, mm -hmm. they did it not to further their careers, obviously, obviously nobody yeah, wants no. attention. Uh, they did it uh, because it was the right thing to do and, they, and they're good people. Uh, that's it. And, and Brittany, the mm -hmm. thing is that you, you and your father, your father often talked about, he wrote, he wrote for, 40 years about about um, philosophy and social change and how to make the world a better place it it's something that um, consumed him even as a young man you know uh, what steps do we need to take to make the world a better place but one of the things that's very interesting about your father even though he was um, you know he was a legal theorist and, and an economist and a historian but I would say above all else, he was he was a moralist, like he mm -hmm. really strongly believed, strongly believed in, in morality and and why I think I think your father ultimately knew that um, that if the only way to change the world is by by doing the right thing. Um, I think he always knew that, and he always struggled to do the right thing and alert people to the moral uh, case and and why. Um, I think he probably knew that uh, this is the way to change the world. It's like you have to, you have to step up, you have to sacrifice, and you have to, you have to exercise courage in the, in the defense of freedom, or else we're never going to get we're never going to get from here to there. If we if we shrink back, if we um, pretend as if we can just write for journals, um, you know, uh, enjoy our tenured jobs, uh, uh, that's not going to get the job done. What 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 we all have to do is throw ourselves into the battle, um, even at great risk to ourselves and our reputations, um, and that that sacrifice would be uh, 
paid back. Maybe not to us individually, you know, mm-hmm. but but in order to make the world a better place. And I think I, I saw the spirit of your father working and and these three scientists. It was great inspiration. Yeah, and what's um, I, I I totally agree. That's you know I, I like to think that he's you know watching this from you know and and very pleased with what he's seeing. To me, what um, what it show what what the declaration and the response to it shows is that when someone does step up and do the right thing, and when they put something at risk, and just to speak the truth, there's this whole undercurrent in society that wants to support them. That you know maybe it didn't occur to them to step forward. Maybe they didn't have the knowledge. Maybe they didn't you know for whatever reason all these people who signed on, maybe they weren't speaking out already, but there is this undercurrent. There's already these people who know this is wrong and maybe they know it's wrong because of the economic effects. Maybe they know it's wrong because of the, what is it? Um, 12, an additional 12,000. First it was a month and now it's a day. I think um, people who will be starving to death because of the lockdowns, Um, whatever it is, the fact that you guys came together and created this this point where people could sort of coalesce and come and just express their support, it shows that that support is out there. It shows that underneath all the mask wearing and the mask shaming and all the stuff that's going on, there are people who are paying attention and who have a moral center and who care about doing the right thing. I think it's the overwhelming percentage of people uh... And they just needed a means to express it and right. somebody to galvanize them and, and, and explain that science does not say violate human rights. The science does yeah. not say lock you in your home. The science says, let's create a good society, um, help doctors and patients get together, get through a new pathogen. We can do this while not destroying everything we know about law, philosophy, human rights, and freedom. And yeah. that's basically a summary of, of the declaration. And, uh, and the fact that it was these three high-end scientists, really the three best epide- public health epidemiologists in the world um, saying this, it, it, it blew everything up. It, yeah, because yeah, how, how are they going to come back? How are they going to discredit them? They're trying. Right. They're not going to be able to. No. They're not going to be able to. I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, congratulations. Well, it's, um, it's fun to have our little reunion. We, I think we talked very early on in this whole thing. And you yeah, are- we were t- you, you were my first podcast guest when I first started this. You were my first podcast guest. Um, and I had been planning this even before COVID. Um, but then it hit, and obviously, you know, that's what you had to talk about. But yeah, I, it really felt like very lonely days back then. It really felt like it did. You know, it was, there were it was just great a, to have our compatriots. You know, one of the things that's happened, I think, to all of us, we've lost a lot of friends, but we've gained a lot of friends. And, yes. And um, yes. that's true. That's true for the scientists, too, by the way. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, a lot even. Of colleagues, but gained a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's shifting, shifting everything. Thank you so much for coming on again. I'll have you on again and again. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so thrilled with what you guys have done. Thanks so much, Fatine, for your wonderful uh, <clears throat> support for yes. the work and for being so steadfast. You know, there's mm-hmm. so, so many of us. So let's yeah. have a, a, a post-lockdown reunion at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. In person. In Absolutely. person. No masks. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye-bye.